MSW Media. A big thanks to Dipsy for supporting the MSW Book Club. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories. If you're looking to heat things up, there's a story waiting for you. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com ag. And we really appreciate Jenny Kane for sponsoring our show. Get 20% off all furniture and home decor, free shipping on furniture, early product access, and much more with a JKH membership. Join at jennykane.com membership. Jenny Kane Home creates California-inspired classics for any room or mood. Go to jennykane.com home to create the space you'll never want to leave. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club. I'm your host, A.G., and this is episode two of the series, on the instant New York Times bestseller by Ellie Mistal called Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. Episode one was an interview with the author. It's out now. Just search for MSW Book Club wherever you get your podcasts and you can listen and follow. Today, I'll be covering the introduction and chapters one and two. That's pages one through 30 in the hardback edition. And uh, first, I'd like to thank Ellie for partnering with us and for writing this book. So, Let's kick this off with the introduction. Ellie begins simply with, our Constitution is not good. And he expands on this by reminding us it's based on white male dominance and that it needs to be modified lest it fails to make good on justice and equality for all, which was its promise. And he wastes no time making his point about how the two parties view the Constitution. Quote, Conservatives are out here acting like the Constitution was etched by divine flame upon stone tablets, when in reality, it was scrawled out over a sweaty summer by people making deals with actual monsters who were trying to protect their rights to rape humans they held in bondage. Why would I give a fuck about the original public meaning of the words written by these men? And the proof it was garbage? It was immediately updated with ten amendments, known as the Bill of Rights, and if it was so awesome... Why did a civil war break out within a hundred years? So it's not as masterful and as magical as conservatives hold it to be. And it's good parts, like banning cruel and unusual punishment, for example, we rarely comply with. And Ellie says that the concept of the Constitution is, is decent, but they simply aren't applied to everyone living here, the concepts. So he states that his goal in writing this book is to expose what the Constitution looks like to someone who it was designed to ignore and how the interpretation of the text by conservatives is little more than cover for white male dominance. Same thing with the Bible, right? Same thing Mary Trump discussed in her book, The Reckoning, which we covered on this show. Loopholes designed to allow us to backslide into white supremacy, as I discussed with Ellie in episode one of this series. Additionally, Ellie says, 
that what conservatives do and try to do in the name of the Constitution is disgusting, and that most people believe the law is a function of both sides operating in good faith, which is a mischaracterization. One giant mistake on that front is assuming the law operates sort of robotically or objectively. I remember when I spoke to Laura Coates about her book describing her time as a public prosecutor and how so many times the law was applied without any consideration for the human being in front of you. Ellie says, quote, in case you haven't already guessed, I reject that form of legal analysis. A 5-4 ruling on the Supreme Court directly affects the likelihood of me getting shot to death by the police while driving to the store. It directly affects whether my kids can walk to the bus stop unmolested and unafraid of the cops driving by. I refuse to pretend to be intellectually dispassionate about such things, unquote. Now, I, I need to emphasize here, I need to take a time out. I, I need to talk about how important it is for you to buy and read this book or download it and listen to it. Uh, I'll be going over concepts, adding discussion points, maybe quoting here and there, but to truly appreciate Ellie's writing style and to get every story and every anecdote, because I don't include them all, you really need to be reading this along with me. Uh, his wit, his sense of humor cannot be captured by me, nor can his lived experiences, which are which you get a, a better sense of when you read the book in its entirety. Uh, and he even drops an F-bomb on page one, so you don't want to miss the experience of Ellie's work in its entirety, unabashed. All right, back to the story. Ellie says the other difference you'll notice about his interpretation of the law is what he told me in episode one, that he views the law as an argument, a collection of subjective decisions, and not a blanket objective exercise. He says, quote, the law is not science, it's jazz. And this book is Ellie's argument for what the Constitution is versus what it should be and must be for our society to be a just society. Ellie also invites us to use his arguments against any conservatives in your life, in our lives. And he wrote this book for one of the same reasons I started the Muller She Wrote podcast, because most of this stuff is beyond the reach of most people. Quote, it's a lot like building a bike. A box of tires and pipes and chains and screws is intimidating unless it comes with an instruction manual. I'm going to show how conservatives are building their white supremacist ride and how liberals can throw a spanner in the works. Unquote. And that brings us to the end of the introduction and the beginning of chapter one. On page nine, canceling trash people is not a constitutional crisis. And he begins, and I love this, with Socrates. He refers to him as the greatest internet troll of all time because, as a sophist, his whole gig was to use clever bullshit arguments to play devil's advocate. I call them reply guys on Twitter, akin to me posting, I like apples, and having some fedora-wearing, Elon-worshipping incel neglect his pet tarantula for a minute to yell at me on the internet about why I don't care about oranges. Quote, he was a walking whataboutism walrus meme in a toga, exasperating people who were just trying to run a practical society without catching a lightning bolt from a fickle and horny Zeus. Okay, and so that's the kind, that's the kind of writing <laughs> that, you, that makes me implore you to buy this book. Uh, but it was probably Socrates' message and not his methods that earned him his death sentence. He was tried, and it was concluded that society would be better off without him. So, yes, Socrates was canceled. But Donald, on the other hand, was banned from social media. Roseanne Barr, for example, Ellie says, lost a sitcom. Andrew Sullivan lost a column. And nothing really happened to J.K. Rowling. Uh, the point is that people who complain about cancel culture often decry their right to free speech, but they have no constitutional protection against losing fans. 
And complaints about cancel culture are often tied to complaints about political correctness. And the folks losing gigs because they're bigots actually think their 1A rights are being trampled. But in reality, the First Amendment is mainly about the government's attempt to silence or punish unpopular views, or about limiting the free press, or armed agents threatening to jail citizens who protest the government. Ellie points out that those are all things Republicans do when they're in power. The real cancel culture is the one perpetrated by snowflake conservatives leading the actual assault on the First Amendment. Wealthy white people chilling journalism using frivolous lawsuits, for example, like Gawker or Scott Stedman and Forensic News Network. Real cancel culture is cops using rubber bullets and tear gas on peaceful protesters. It's police brutality against people protesting police brutality. Quote, I'm not worried about getting ratioed on Twitter or getting fired from my job if I write a bad column. I'm worried about the Justice Department forcing me to drink a cup of hemlock because I wrote a good one. So well put. And that is the end of chapter one. We're going to take a very quick break here. I'll be right back with chapter two called Bigotry is Illegal Even If You've Been Ordered to by Jesus. <laughs> Stay with us. Hi, everyone. Spring is here now. It's a perfect time to begin a new point of view in every room for your home. Uh, I've been updating several rooms in my house, in fact, the whole house lately, focusing on quality pieces that make each room feel and look complete and breathable and lovely. Luckily, I found Jenny Kane. Jenny Kane has everything you need to create the home of your dreams, from beautiful handmade furniture and kitchen essentials to pillows and throws you can pair with anything. Their selection is fantastic. It's the ultimate source for all things home. Each piece you get from them, whether it's furniture or home decor, is truly a good investment and uh, really stands out from things you can find anywhere else. I just ordered the Brentwood Boucle chair. I'm so excited. I have the exact spot I'm going to put it. It's picked out. I love it. I'm excited. I also recently upgraded to their Pacific dinnerware and serverware set for my new outdoor dining space by my new pool. I love it. I love the design. Durable, hardworking, starting at just $25. These tabletop pieces are perfect for me and for entertaining anyone else in my home. Can't get enough of Jenny Kane? I do not blame you. So join Jenny Kane Rewards. You get to enjoy exclusive perks and benefits like birthday surprises, early access to new launches, plus you'll earn up to 10% back on all purchases. Join today, you'll get 100 points right off the bat, and get 20% off all, for all home furniture and decor with free shipping on furniture, early product access, and much more with JKH. That's so cool. It's a membership. And you can join at JennyKane.com membership or go to JennyKane.com home to create the space you'll never want to leave. That's J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com slash home. And today's show is also brought to you by Dipsy. You're allowed to switch things up when you feel like it. Yesterday, you were jamming to country music, but today, you're deep in the 90s throwback playlist. Your go-to dessert is usually creme brulee, but today, you're going to go for the butter cake. With Dipsy, you can always choose what feels good in the moment. What is Dipsy? It is an audio app full of short, sexy stories to help you unlock your sensuality with an ever-growing collection of options that also includes a wellness section and a dreamy sleep scene section, which I absolutely love. Sometimes when I need to relax, I pop in my earbuds and use Dipsy to take a quick mental vacation. It helps take my mind off whatever stressful thing I'm feeling anxious about by transporting me to an entirely different place in time where everything turns out just fine. <laughs> then I can return to my daily life of reporting the news until I need my next mental vacation from Dipsy. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters. No matter what you're into, what turns you on, from accents to fun scenarios, they have what you're looking for. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions. Now they offer written stories. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. And for listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial. 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com ag. That's 30 days full of access for free. 
when you go to Dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A, stories.com slash A-G. Dipsystories.com slash A-G. You'll be glad you did. Everybody, welcome back to the MSW Book Club. I'm A-G, and I'm reading Allow Me to Retort by Ellie Mistal. I'm on Chapter 2 now on page 18 called Bigotry is Illegal, Even If You've Been Ordered to by Jesus. And I like where this is going already. I imagine we're about to get into religious freedoms and how that also includes freedom from religion. Uh, just a note, by the way, I'm reading this book as I'm writing the script for this particular show. I think it's more genuine that way. So in any case, on to chapter two. This chapter opens with a spot on analogy that the First Amendment is a lot like the first Avenger, Captain America. And I have to read this first paragraph to you. It's amazing. All right, quote, the First Amendment has a lot in common with the first Avenger, Captain America. Both are mascots for an American ideal. Both are muscular reflections of how America would like to see itself. Both are shields who are supposed to protect those who cannot, on their own, stand up to bullies, intimidation, or oppression. If you want to shoot something, you better call Iron Man, who is a walking and flying embodiment of the Second Amendment. If you want to smash evil into submission, you better call the Incredible Hulk with the 14th Amendment. I could do this all day. But if you just want to live your life with the dignity of your own thoughts and your own beliefs, Captain First Amendment is your hero. <laughs> So good. Now, Ellie keeps it going by saying that the problem here is Captain America has been captured by Hydra and turned into a weapon against us because it's been infected by the religious right. They don't use it as a shield. They use it as a sword, a cudgel. He gives examples such as anti-trans legislation, anti-women's health care. It's being corrupted in the name of bigotry. Ellie says the roots of this can be traced to the good guys, the Democrats. In 1993, Chuck Schumer introduced the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Ted Kennedy brought it to the Senate where it passed and Bill Clinton signed it into law. The law was passed to reverse a 1990 employment uh, division v. Smith SCOTUS decision in which the court changed the interpretation of the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Ellie reminds us what the First Amendment says. And here it is. He says, don't worry, it's not long. It's surprisingly short for everything that it does. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's it. That's the First Amendment. And for a long time, SCOTUS had a test called the Sherbert Test. It comes from the 1963 case Sherbert v. Verner, which called for strict scrutiny of laws that impact religious freedom. In other words, a state has to have a really, really good reason for doing anything that impacts a person's faith, and the state has the burden to prove there's no other way to achieve that really, really good reason. And that is the test that SCOTUS overturned in 1990 in the Employment Division v. Smith case. That case involved a couple of Native Americans fired from a drug rehab clinic for using peyote as part of a religious ritual. I remember this case. The men wanted unemployment, but were denied because of drug use. And that uh, is why it made it, a, it went up to the federal court and was set up for constitutional determination because they were denied unemployment. Quote, a reasonable person might say, wait, you can't be denied unemployment benefits because you get high. What kind of uptight Victorian Jesus bullshit is that? But instead of changing the law so that unemployment benefits were easier to get, the Democrats decided to pass the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which restored the old Supreme Court strict scrutiny test for issues regarding the Free Exercise Clause. Unquote. That's from Ellie. Sadly, the law did a lot more than just restore that test. Clinton, Schumer, and Kennedy did have the best intentions, but didn't foresee hacks like Kavanaugh using it as a loophole 
to make bigoted distinctions. So while it's a good thing in the peyote case, we now have members of what Ellie refers to as the powerful majoritarian religion getting a hold of it to use it as a cudgel they can wield to impose religious dogma on the rest of us, which kind of violates our exercise of religion, which is freedom from it. This is what led to the Hobby Lobby decision in 2014. That was eight years ago already. God. Hobby Lobby argued that providing birth control as part of employees' health benefits as mandated by the Affordable Care Act robbed Hobby Lobby of their free exercise of religious beliefs. And I have to quote Ellie here. He says, while doing nothing to stop their male employees from getting a pill to help them sustain enough of an erection to use their penises as knitting needles. (laughs) The Hobby Lobby decision, written by Justice Alito, as a matter of fact, cited the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which was originally intended to protect people from being denied government services. And he decided it was also applied to corporations eager to deny services to people. And here's a quote. It only took 20 years for the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to go from something that defended people who use drugs as part of religious ceremonies to something that prevents women from accessing drugs for their own health. And Hobby Lobby's approach has been fully adopted now for all businesses, corporations, small businesses, to use as a cover for bigotry. Same twisted version of the free exercise clause was used in the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado, owned by Jack Phillips, who refused to make that cake for Charlie Craig and David Mullins. And Ellie opens up here a little in response to those who say, just look for another bakery. He says, it's so easy for people to overlook the humanity of those who suffer from this kind of bigotry. And, and Ellie also talks about being bullied in school, but not wanting his parents to find out, and, and that he lived in fear of them finding out he wasn't liked, on the off chance they'd call the bully's parents and force playdates, which would uh, compound his shame. Ellie says, It pains me to think of Craig's mom calling this bigot baker, maybe hoping she could make him understand, hoping she could make him see the decency of her boy. And it enrages me that Phillips had the audacity to tell somebody's mother that God required him to deny service to her son. I wouldn't bake a cake for Jack Phillips, even if it was to celebrate his funeral. Luckily, Jack Phillips is not a protected class. And that's, now we get into what a protected class is. He explains it, how it's central to our anti-discrimination laws. We talk about this all the time on the show. And there are actually very few. And, And you can actually... Uh, discriminate against anyone for anything other than race, color, creed, maybe gender, Ellie will get into that later, age, disability, and sexual orientation in certain contexts. And again, he'll get into the weeds on that later. So while Ellie can refuse to bake a cake for Phillips, Phillips shouldn't be able to refuse to bake a cake for Craig and Mullins. There's even a law in Colorado called the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, or CADA. Craig and Mullins sued and should have won, but Phillips raised an objection under the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. And here's where Ellie brings up an important point here. This is sort of a sidebar from Ellie. The right-wing religious objection to the same-sex marriage issue is always taken at face value, and it shouldn't be. And here's how he explains it. Craig and Mullins were not asking Phillips to marry a man. They weren't attempting to pay Phillips for sexual favors. They did not want Phillips to put himself inside the cake and jump out and scream, I love gay people, at an opportune moment. They simply wanted him to accept payment for services he started an entire business to render. Phillips claims uh, that his religious freedom would be compromised by being forced to engage in his own business is ludicrous on its face. 
refusing to do your job because the person paying you to do it has different beliefs than you is not a religious objection. It's plain and simple bigotry. And Colorado agreed. And they ordered Phillips to pay restitution to the two men, but he appealed the case. It ended up at SCOTUS, where it came face-to-face with Justice Kennedy, who then was faced with two of his pet projects being pitted against one another, his two pet projects being his long resume protecting LGBTQ plus rights and his Citizens United opinion. Yes, he wrote that. He decided that instead of calling Phillips illegally bigoted against gay couples, he would call Colorado illegally bigoted against religious people. And Ellie says it was a punk move done by a man who was sick of history having its eyes on him. Kennedy peaced out less than two months later and gave Brett Kavanaugh his job. Ellie points out it's easy to conclude right-wingers are in it for the bigotry and not the protection of freedoms, because if they were in it for the freedom protection part, they wouldn't be making the religious freedoms argument. They'd be making a First Amendment free speech argument. If Phillips is allowed to be bigoted toward gay people, it would be under the free speech clause, not the free exercise of religion clause. So why not call it what it is? Ellie tells us why. But, you know, it's free speech that would be protecting Phillips from not having to say something he doesn't believe, right? But extrapolating from there, Ellie says one can imagine a number of things that are speech-like that a person cannot be compelled to do. In a free society, he says, you can't compel a sculptor to make a statue of a political figure you hate. He says you can't compel a scientist to make weapons systems for a warlord. And trying to do that uh, would result in that scientist making a powered armor bodysuit to destroy the warlord and eventually aliens. Just watch the first Iron Man movie if you don't believe me, he says. (laughs) But baking a cake isn't a speech act. And the free speech argument doesn't get bigots where they want to go which is being allowed to fight a culture war against women and the LGBTQ plus community. Free speech doesn't help Kim Davis refuse to give marriage licenses to gay couples. Free speech doesn't help Hobby Lobby refuse to cover birth control. Free speech protects theocrats, but it doesn't give them the right to impose those views on secular things. That's why free speech arguments are useless to the theocrats. He says, quote, if you don't believe me, just look at the legal battle Jack Phillips took on next. And that, that's the Autumn Scardina case. She went to his cake shop and requested a cake to celebrate her birthday and gender transition. Phillips refused. And Ellie says, I promise you that Phillips does not check the virginity of heterosexual couples he makes cakes for, even though sex before marriage allegedly makes Jesus cry. I can't imagine how many cakes this man has made for unrepentant sinners who nonetheless had the right mix of genitalia to pass the gospel according to Jack. Free speech is a useless argument when his objection comes down to, I'll make cakes for girls, but not that girl. Scardina sued Phillips as of this writing. That case is still in litigation. And not only that issue, but right-wing lawyers actually go out of their way to look for guys like Phillips to enlist them as soldiers in their culture war. They're like ambulance chasers, but for fascism. But the larger point here is that even quote-unquote good laws can be manipulated by bad people, to perform evil. We can't give blind faith to everyone wishing to exercise 1A just because it's 1A, because some people are lying and evil people. Quote, we should defend the principles enshrined in our laws, not the random text of the laws themselves. Otherwise, any Yahoo in a Captain America costume can hide their authoritarianism under constitutional-sounding platitudes. Wow. 
That wraps up chapter two and this episode. I will be back next week with the next few chapters, three, four, five, and six. Also out today, new episode of Muller She Wrote. And the Fantasy Indictment League is lit, by the way. And of course, I'll be back tomorrow with Dana Goldberg for the Daily Beans. Until then, everyone, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and this is the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter, and our art and web designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.